Welcome to Alchemy. It's great to have you back for another episode. We're free and on demand from iTunes and alchemyradio.net. And you can follow us and join the Alchemy community on Facebook and Twitter. So as I always say, don't be shy and say hello. We exist thanks to your kind donations. So a big thank you to everybody who does so via our website. We're completely non-profit and intend to stay that way. We're also delighted to announce that Alchemy is the official European media partner of the Free Your Mind conference. A three-day conference taking place in April in Philadelphia, which features top-caliber whistleblowers and researchers from across the world who will shed light upon our world's problems and bring forward empowering solutions. The dates for Free Your Mind 2016, April 15th to 17th, and the speakers announced so far are as follows. Jordan Maxwell, Mark Passio, Jim Mars, Max Egan, Mary Sean Young, Cathy O'Brien, Freeman, Ken Rolla, Laura Eisenhow, Josie Wales, Bob Tuskin, Jay Parker, Jamie Hanshaw, Janice Barcello, Mark Phillips, David Whitehead, John Vibes and Raz Ben. There will be more speakers announced soon, so watch this space as they say. And for more details and on how to get tickets, go to freeyourmindconference.com. I must say, I'm really looking forward to that myself. I haven't been to the conference before. This is the fourth year that it's been running for, and it promises to be an exceptional event. So then, on to the show. Our guest this episode is James Fetzer. James is an author and researcher, among many other things, which he's going to tell us about now, I'm sure, in a minute. And we're going to be talking about Sandy Hook and false flag operations and what they mean for the world at large. It promises to be a most meaty discussion, so let's get straight to it. Jim, you're very welcome to Alchemy. How are things? Oh, I'm delighted to be here with you. Things are uh, good, except I'm very distressed by all these attacks on James Tracy, the professor at Florida Atlantic University, who is perhaps the very first to write a scholarly article about Sandy Hook and the peculiar role of Wayne Carver, which we have confirmed in spades. He was the, the pivotal player who held the entire case together by virtue of his authority as the Connecticut state a medical examiner and where, of course, as James observes in his article, which I like so much, I made the first chapter of Nobody Died in, at Sandy Hook, that uh, he even observes in passing who hopes this doesn't come crashing down on the people of Newtown later. Well, I think it has come crashing down. I think so, and I've been following your blogs, of course, and your most recent post is about Professor James Tracy, so we'll get into that in some depth during the interview. But before that, there's a question, Jim, that I ask everybody who comes on the show. It's kind of a wide-ranging one, so I'm going to hit you with it now as well. And that is, how did you get from where you were to where you are now? Well, I began, uh, you know, uh, I had the benefit of a superb education at Princeton where I was in the Navy regular program, which meant that the 
government was providing my tuition books and, and, and a modest stipend for agreeing uh, to serve a minimum of four years as an officer in the Navy or the Marine Corps, I chose the Marine Corps option on the ground that if I were going to be in a military organization, I wanted to be in a real one. So I was commissioned uh, as a second lieutenant on graduation. I would be trained as an artillery officer. I would serve 13 months in the Far East. In fact, I was anchored out in Kaohsiung Harbor, Formosa, when I was awakened at 3.30 in the morning by the officer of the deck who happened to be the executive officer of the mortar battery of which I was the fire direction officer to tell me that JFK had been shot. And then he awakened me an hour later to tell me that they caught the guy who'd done it. He was a communist. I believe then that was very fast work. I would only later, of course, become aware of precisely how fast it had been. I, I would serve uh, two years at the recruit depot in San Diego, the first with 15 drill instructors, 300 recruits under my command. Then they moved me up to regimental headquarters to revise the training program from one in which we could train 11,000 recruits in eight weeks to in 8,000 recruits in 11 weeks to 11,000 recruits in eight weeks. Uh, I saw it working, but I would have very mixed feelings because I came to believe the Vietnam War was a huge mistake. I resigned my commission as a captain in 1966, entered graduate school and earned a PhD in the history and the philosophy of science in 1970 and then served at a, uh, many institutions of higher learning, Virginia twice, North Carolina Chapel Hill, New College of the University of South Florida, for example, before I was hired as a full professor with tenure at the uh, Duluth campus of the University of Minnesota in 1987. Then in 1996, I was made one of the first 10 distinguished McKnight University professors whom uh, the university recognizes having greatly enhanced the reputation and standing of the University of Minnesota. It was uh, it, it, around that, that time, actually shortly before, in the, in the aftermath of the release of Oliver Stone's film JFK, that when I discovered that the editor-in-chief of the Journal of the American Medical Association, a man by the name of uh, George Lundberg, was denouncing everyone who had done serious work on the assassination, uh, was abusing his position, uh, where I had already a great deal of experience uh, in editing, including 10 years as an associate editor of Synthes, which is a, a quite famous international journal for epistemology, methodology, and the philosophy of science. I concluded that perhaps some of us with special background and ability needed to become involved. And when I discovered a letter from uh, one of the members of the AMA protesting the editor-in-chief's actions here, where he would publish interviews with the pathologists who had conducted the autopsy at Bethesda as though they were science, claiming it was new information when they'd given interviews before, and interviews per se are not science. Uh, 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 this fellow's name was David W. Mantic, MD, PhD, and I reached out to him for us to collaborate on a long article or a short book. This was in uh, in December of 1962, where <clears throat> David was about to enter the National Archives to review the autopsy x-rays, the medical evidence with regard to 
to uh, JFK with the permission of uh, Merck Marshall, who was the Kennedy family attorney, then a, a professor, I believe, emeritus at, at Yale Law School. And David told me before he went in that he thought he'd discover uh, evidence of a second shot to the head, uh, but also evidence that the autopsy x-rays had been altered. And I told him that was terrific because that's what we were looking for either way, meaning we knew the government had committed a very elaborate cover-up, but it was a matter of disentangling exactly how it had been done. Uh, he not only discovered that the x-rays had been altered to conceal a massive blowout at the back of the head, where they had used a material much too dense to be human bone to affect the patch, but also that a 6.5 metallic slice had been added to the anterior posterior front to rear x-ray in an obvious effort to implicate a weapon with this obscure caliber, namely the an Italian man liquor Carcano, mm -hmm. which was a complete piece of junk. It was a World War II relic that was known as a humanitarian rifle for never actually harming anyone on purpose. <laughs> uh, Lee Oswald could have obtained a far superior weapon on any street corner in Dallas without even showing any ID, but they needed a paper trail to falsely implicate him uh, I would uh, publish a first collection of expert studies, including especially David Mantic's X-ray studies, but also that of a world authority on the human brain, who was also an expert in wound ballistics by the name of Bob Livingston, who was world, world famous, uh, who had uh, studied the reports, multiple consistent reports from the Parkland physicians about cerebral and cerebellar tissue extruding from the, the massive gaping hole at the back of his head, which was the size of your fist when you double it up. So if you reach back with your, your right arm, say, to the back of your head, that'll give you some appreciation of the dimensions of this wound, which struck Bob because it was inconsistent with the diagrams and photographs of the brain in the National Archive, which shows a virtually completely intact brain with only very minor damage, it's abnormally large. Uh, Bob had explained to me that the average size of an adult male brain is about 1350 grams. This one was 1500, so it was abnormally large and it was virtually intact, including a completely intact cerebellum, which would be impossible if, of course, it had been blown out in Dealey Plaza. Hmm. So that this first vo volume of mine published in 1998 uh, entitled Assassination Science, actually shattered the cover-up in the case of JFK. Uh, I would subsequently uh, convene a national conference in Minneapolis in 1999 on the death of JFK and use the uh, you know, edited versions of the proceedings to publish Murder in Dealey Plaza in 2000 which many regard as the best, single best volume on the, the assassination, where there were three masterful essays by David W. Mandick uh, on the, the, the medical evidence, on the Zapruder film, and on the silence of the historians, how dumbfounding it is that American historians have not picked up the massive evidence that the, the assassination had been a, an elaborate conspiracy well, in the course of my subsequent research, I've been able to identify six of what may have been as many as seven shooters, their locations and the shots they fired. 
and then I would convene. I, I would be invited to chair and co-chair conferences in in Dallas in 2000 and 2001, and then I organized a conference on the Zapruder film on the Duluth campus in 2003, and would publish the great Zapruder film hoax that year with a lot of absolutely stunning information, including that in the meanwhile I had been studying the film and, and discovered not only had they, they blacked out the, that massive defect at the back of the head in frames after 313, which actually combines two different shots because that, they, after they, they turned from Main Street onto Houston and then took a 110 degrees turn onto Elm Street, which is a violation of Secret Service protocol, after bullets began to be fired, Jack had already been hit in the back uh, by a shot fired from the top of the county records building, and then in the throat by a shot that passed through the windshield en route to its target. The driver, William Greer, pulled the limousine to the left and to a halt, very abruptly jostling the passengers, throwing them forward to make sure JFK would be killed. And he was hit in the back of the head by a shot fired from the Dow Techs. He slumped forward, Jackie eased him up and was looking him right in the face when he was hit in the right temple by a shot fired from the, the, the right front, actually, the intersection of the triple underpass and the picket fence. It was a frangible or exploding bullet that set up shockwaves that blew his brains out the back of his head with such force that when they impacted with Officer Bobby Hargis riding there, he initially thought he himself had been shot. So the exit version of the film combines those two shots, and as I will elaborate, took out a whole lot more. So we're actually missing hundreds of frames from uh, the original film uh, at 18.3 frames per second. And uh, at that point, uh, I, I had the conference in, in, I had discovered that if you look further on, it had crossed my mind, maybe they hadn't blacked out the blowout in later frames and I discovered in frame 374, you can actually see the blowout. That's even in the extant version of the film. And of course, it's bluish gray, and then there's a pink part there that's a skull flap that was blown open by this frangible or exploding bullet when it went from the force by the right ear. So there's this extension, a kind of bone flap that's still connected by skin to the skull. And when you compare the, the blowout in frame 374 with David Manning's study, they're almost exactly the same in their, in their characteristics and location and so forth. So that was quite a stunning development. Then in, in, in 2013, on the occasion of the 50th, I couldn't con conduct uh, yet another national conference in Santa Barbara entitled JFK, The Assassination of America, which anyone can find altogether online uh, in, in YouTube, where there were six speakers. And I think for a comprehensive overview of the assassination, that would be hard to beat. But what it meant was that, you know, I had already become engaged in uh, serious research on government complicity in these events, so that when 9-11 took place, I, uh, and a, a daughter of ours called to turn on the TV, and I saw that, you know, the North Tower smoking, uh, and, and eventually would watch as the South Tower would, would officially Collapse, but it's actually blowing apart in every direction from the top down. Yeah, in an attempt to simulate a collapse, I recognized that what I was witnessing was impossible from the point of view of engineering, and that therefore this was a fraud. But I remember thinking to myself very clearly, but but I can't imagine how I'd ever be in a position to do anything about it. 
However, I was drawn into uh, a number of discussions about 9-11, and in late December of 2005, I discovered, my, I found myself in a, the midst of a, a discussion thread of about two dozen people, including a lot of very talented individuals, and it crossed my mind that perhaps what we needed was a, an organization, a society that would bring together the collective contributions of engineers, pilots, uh, physicists, structural, aeronautical, electrical, mechanical, civil. And I founded Scholars for 9-11 Truth in December of 2005, which took off like a rocket. And by the June of 2006, Alex Jones had organized the American Scholars Conference in Los Angeles. And C-SPAN came to film the panel discussion, which was on Sunday. It ran an hour and 45 minutes featuring four members of scholars, Stephen Jones, a physicist from BYU, whom I'd invited to be my co-chair at the suggestion of David Ray Griffin, Bob Bowman, who was not only a Korean war ace with 101 kills, but had a PhD in nuclear engineering from Caltech and was a scientific director of the Star Wars project under Presidents Reagan and Ford, Webster Tarpley, the author of 9-11, Synthetic Terror Made in the USA, one of our country's most astute students of covert activities, and myself as the founder of Scholars for 9-11 Truth, where I gave uh, an explanation, my top 10 reasons that the, the, the uh, terrorist hijackers were fake, uh, which, uh, for which there's a massive evidence, I would go on to do a huge amount of additional work. And I would hold a conference in Madison in 2007, organize a conference in London in 2010, another conference in Vancouver in 2012. Meanwhile, I'd be flown to Athens at the end of 2006 to appear on a what would turn out to be a three and a half hour television uh, a program about 9-11 where they'd done a wonderful job of preparing the tapes and it was broadcast worldwide by satellite. In 2008, I'd be flown to Buenos Aires to give some lectures on JFK and 9-11. 2009, I was brought back to be the keynote speaker at an international symposium on 9-11 Truth and Justice, which was held in the National Library of the Republic of Argentina. Uh, because, you know, many of these foreign nations have a great deal more respect for scholars and professional research on these issues than does the United States, which has proven, of course, because of our own government's complicity in the events of 9-11, to, to have done everything it can to suppress and suffocate the information that has been discovered. But what I'm telling you is this was a background against which when, for example, Senator Paul Wellstone went down in a plane crash that occurred only 60 miles north of my office on the Duluth campus, I became deeply involved, published 10 articles in the alternative newspaper before a co-authored book with uh, Don Foreros Jacobs, a Native American scholar then at Northern Arizona University entitled American Assassination. Uh, and a subsequent article with John P. Costella, who's a PhD physicist from Australia, whom uh, I had flown up for the Duluth conference, and whom I, because he's a leading expert on the film today, just as David Manick is a leading expert on the medical evidence. Uh, so I flew John back, and we were tramping around the crash site in 35 degree below zero weather. 
uh, looking for pieces, picking up chunks of the charred wreckage and so forth. And he and I would author an article entitled The NTSB Failed Wellstone that Michael Rupert would publish in his From the Wilderness newsletter, which may be the most copiously documented short article ever published because it's only about six pages, including uh, a lot of crucial photographs and has some, I don't know, 105 references. So what I'm saying is when things like uh, Sandy Hook and the Boston bombing took place, and I agree with you completely that the Boston bombing was the most amateurish of them all, and yet we have much to learn about it, which will be presented in a new book that I expect to have out in January, just a few weeks hence, mm -hmm. uh, to complement the previous work on uh, Sandy Hook and on the, the Moon book, and I suppose we didn't go to the Moon either. Uh, I was primed for this, you know, and, and collaborating as I've done all my research, I bring in experts on different aspects where, uh, where I know my own limitations, and I think that may be one of my greatest strengths in doing research in these very complex and controversial issues. Well, I must say you've been basically embedded in what is wrong with not just the US, but uh, the conspiratorial world at large then for quite some time. So you were very well placed to see the wood from the trees with regard to Sandy Hook. Hence the book then, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook. So for the uninitiated, Jim, tell us a little bit about the mainstream narrative and what we were told about Sandy Hook when it unfolded at the time. Absolutely, John. Well, the official story is that this young man slightly demented about six feet tall weighing oh, i don't know 112 pounds or so is alleged to have gone off the rails to have shot his mother four times in the head at their home with a 22 caliber rifle then gone to sandy hook elementary school where he he blew a hole in a glass uh uh, plate uh, in, in window in the into the lobby to gain access, and then shot 20 children and six adults in rapid order, firing over 150 rounds from a Bushmaster, which is a civilian version of the AR-15, and uh, with remarkable skill, uh, because his 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 kill to target ratio was on the order of 96 or 97 percent. And the, 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 there were all kinds of, that was the official story, and that he had taken his own life with a handgun. I mean, he'd been very heavily uh, armored up, body armor, and, you know, several handguns in this Bushmaster. Uh, that's the official account, which was widely broadcast on radio and television, enormous coverage, probably no single... Uh, domestic shooting incidents has ever received the coverage received by Sandy Hook. Well, it turned out to play a crucial role in the Obama political agenda because already by this had happened on 14 December 2012, mm. but already by 16 January 2013, Obama was signing 23 executive orders to control access to weapons in violation of the Second Amendment, where he has made it the cornerstone of his policy until the book was published and banned, after which he hasn't mentioned Sandy Hook again because he doesn't want people to understand what happened. Here's, here's the background. Many of us became involved in research because it didn't look right. And we were, you know, acting on the information then available and more and more became available. And it has turned out now that we we thought there were many oddities. For, for example, there was a sign everyone must check in. 
There were boxes of uh, pizza and, and bottled water at the firehouse. There were porta potties already in place. Uh, we had uh, a lot of people there with name tags on lanyards. We had parents bringing children to the scene, which is, of course, completely absurd if this had been a child shooting massacre. Uh, but we also had the oddities that there was no surge of EMTs or paramedics into the building, no string of ambulances to rush the little bodies off to hospitals where they could be declared dead or alive. No medevac helicopter was called. Uh, there was no evacuation of what turns out to have been, according to the official account, 469 other students, not to mention the 70 the staff members, including uh, teachers and secretaries and custodians and cafeteria workers, and where the triage tops were laid out but no bodies were placed on them, what we have discovered, John, is that it was a two-day FEMA called a capstone event that involved the whole community, uh, that the uh, those oddities about the porta potties and the sign and the pizza and the lanyards and all that, uh, took place because that was a rehearsal on the 13th, and then it went live on the 14th. And those who were involved in the rehearsal didn't understand the difference, so that we had such anomalies as that donation websites for families who had survived the loss of their children at Sandy Hook went up on the 13th, the day before the shooting. And even Adam Lanza's death was officially recorded initially in the Social Security death indexes having occurred on the 13th which would have made his shooting of 20 children and six adults all the more remarkable to take place the following day. But we also discovered, you know, no one had died. The school had been closed since 2008. We have a massive evidence of the school having been closed. It had suffered a lot of water damage from hurricanes and so forth that was loaded with asbestos and biohazards. It was not compliant with their state or federal requirements for Americans with Disability Act so that you had uh, access and entry points like a wooden stairway that couldn't handle a wheelchair with a piece of steel pipe sticking out that a little kid could pop an eye if he ran into it. It was in deplorable condition. It was being used for storage. Uh, in the course of the years before the publication of the book, uh, many of the contents had appeared in articles and been available to the public to comment and where I had done a lot of research, uh, as had others on the school having been closed, where we had many comments from former teachers who explained that this is exactly what they do with abandoned schools. They fill them with, uh, with storage. They use them for storage. We had a, a plumber who observed that they pulled out a commode in a, in a feeble effort to make it look as though it were ADA compliant when it was not ADA compliant. We had all kinds of evidence from the day, because if you look at the... The, the Dickinson Drive, which is about a third of the mile away from the, between the firehouse and the school, was absolutely clogged with all kinds of vehicles. So if you wanted to bring an ambulance in, you couldn't possibly have done it. Not only that, but when they loaded the, the parking lot to serve as a prop, 
uh, although the driving directions require when you come in, you turn right and you drive around and then you park facing away the building. It was much easier to bring them in in a single line and just load them two by two by two, all facing the building. So that even when you look at the cars in the parking lot, you can observe something is terribly wrong. Not only that, but if you look at the building, given that the ground temperature was 28 degrees Fahrenheit that day, there should have been a lot of steam heat rising from the building, but there's none because the building is cold. Uh, it would have been too difficult to, you know, reestablish the boilers. That would have been great expense and probably prohibitively expensive. So they just left it with no heat in the building, which is another sure sign that this whole thing was an elaborate charade. So we have, we even have the FEMA manual, which I put in the book, that distinguishes why there was no surge of EMTs into the building, no string of ambulances and the whole rest. It was a very elaborate charade that had been uh, organized uh, long, long in advance, but where the governor <coughs> by the name of Dan Beloy held a press conference that afternoon to explain that he and the lieutenant governor had been spoken to that something like this might happen, which got me wondering, spoken to? Something like this, what could he possibly mean? Well, there are only really two alternatives, that he'd been warned that someone was going to go berserk and shoot up a bunch of kids in a public school in Connecticut, in which case as governor, he obviously had an obligation to warn the school districts for them to take additional security measures to ensure that that did not happen. But that was not what he did. The alternative being that he'd been apprised that they were going to take an abandoned school. They were going to conduct a drill presented as a live event in order to promote the Obama administration's gun control agenda, which is exactly what happened. And when I looked into the matter by whom he might have been spoken to, I discovered on 27 November, just a few weeks before, uh, the event. He had been visited by none other than Attorney General Eric Holder to talk about the Obama administration's gun control agenda and its project longevity, uh, where we know of Holder that he's been an anti-gun zealot forever. We even have video of him addressing the National Democratic uh, Women's Convention in Washington, D.C. in 1995. And he's already talking about the necessity, this is his word, to brainwash the American people to change their attitude about guns. Uh, not only do we have this mass of evidence, and there's much, much more in the book, uh, which incidentally was so threatening to the Obama administration that it was banned by Amazon.com uh, less than a month after it had been offered for sale on the 22nd of October, where there are 13 contributors, John, including six current or retired PhD college professors and uh, six other experts, one of whom is Paul Preston, who is a, a, a former superintendent of schools in the Los Angeles area, uh, where he was so disturbed by what he saw in the reporting from Sandy Hook that he reached out to his contacts in the Obama Department of Education, all of whom confirmed to him that it had been a drill, that no children had died, and that it was done to promote the Obama gun control agenda, and where, uh, after Amazon banned the book, making an allusion to its guidelines and stating they'd give me more details later, uh, the book had passed their guidelines uh, when it was published on 22 October. If it violated their guidelines, surely they had to know which guidelines had been violated. But when I made inquiries, uh, they had no answer, no explanation, only silence. I released the book 
uh, immediately as a PDF for free to the public, where you can access it at many many locations, including rents, rense.com, rents.com. If you go down uh, about a quarter of the way on the home page on rents, you'll see a big block about this sensational book that you can download yourself for free. And since the book has been banned, Obama has changed his enumeration of shooting events in the United States, uh, where he used to begin by talking about Sandy Hook immediately. He no longer does that. Uh, now he talks about uh, the Fort Hood shooting and moves on to other cases. He does not want to remind the public about Sandy Hook because now they can learn from themselves, given this 425-page book is available. Uh, with the uh, you know contributions, including from six college professors, that demonstrate the whole thing was an elaborate charade to promote gun control. He doesn't want to remind people that it's out there and available for free. And that's very telling in itself, because Sandy Hook was, in a sense, the poster child for the Second Amendment agenda, if you like. And you've listed so many anomalies there. And for anybody who might be sceptical, it's all in the book. Not only are the anomalies that you have listed with regard to Sandy Hook provable, they are proven and fully researched and all the information is available. So we will be looking at some of those in more detail and more depth. But... Remind us just what the Second Amendment is all about for non-US listeners, of which there are many, because while we're both very familiar with what it is all about, it's a very, very contentious issue that mightn't be fully on the radar of those outside of the United States. Well, the Second Amendment states that uh, because of the importance of maintaining, you know, basically citizen soldiers, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And it's very straightforward. Uh, And the court has uh, interpreted it multiple times as meaning that the American people have the right to keep and bear arms, which has become extraordinarily important in this day and age, John, because of the threat, for example, of war with Russia, which America and its allies, especially Israel, appear to be attempting to provoke. Because uh, once we have a first nuclear exchange, Washington and New York City are going to be taken out. Taken out. We'll be in a post-nuclear Jericho-style uh, environment where Jericho was a short-lived television series about life in America after the government had been taken out in nuclear warfare, which makes it very clear that if communities are disarmed and unable to defend themselves, they're going to be subject to attacks by predators such as marauding gangs who want to rape and loot and pillage. Uh, So that, you know, the very idea of disarming the American people is, in my opinion, a form of insanity. Not only that, but we know that the typical response time for police to a 911 call for an emergency at a home is 20 minutes. But most of the mayhem takes place in the first five. So if you want to avoid, say, your daughter being raped, your wife being mugged, you being killed, you need to be able to defend yourself. So that's another absurd aspect of this. Uh, Even the highest-ranking advisor to Emperor Hirohito uh, explained why it would be a bad idea to invade the United States because there'd be a sniper behind every bush. We know that this gun control agenda is completely misconceived. And in fact, I'm convinced that one of the reasons they wanted to ban the book is because I included as an appendix a study showing that when guns are banned, crime goes up for the obvious reason that when you disarm the law-abiding citizens, the criminals who aren't going to surrender their weapons in any case, uh, have another gun-free zone. 
So, you know, it's simply moronic drivel in that the president of the United States should be promoting, you know, the, the vitiation of the Second Amendment is completely outrageous, uh, especially given that he uh, took an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States from all enemies, foreign and domestic, and here is out to subvert the Second Amendment, which the Founding Fathers felt was important enough to make it the Second Amendment right after freedom of the press, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, where Amazon obviously violated freedom of speech and freedom of the press. In fact, Amazon had 20 books on Sandy Hook, but there was only one that drew conclusions that disagreed with the government, and of course, that was the one that was banned. And with gun control as one of the pillars of the Obama administration, of course, we've got a clear motive then for something potentially being afoot. So, with Sandy Hook occurring then three years ago, or not occurring as the case may be in terms of the general mainstream narrative, let's have a look at the supposed uh, perpetrator, Adam Lanza. Who was Adam Lanza and what was he all about? Well, Adam Lanza was a disturbed young man who was attributed with all kinds of bizarre traits. He's supposed to have got into some kind of dance marathon routine where he danced nonstop for 24 hours. This is a fantasy. Uh, He's supposed to be uh, six feet tall, weigh 112 pounds. Uh, and have been proficient with marksmanship, although the alcohol, tobacco, firearms agent who was commissioned to look into whether he uh, and his mother had been engaged in any firearms uh, uh, practice at any ranges in the vicinity discovered no evidence whatsoever uh, from supervising recruit training in San Diego. Uh, I'm well familiar with marksmanship training, which I supervised at Edson Range Camp Pendleton. His his target to kill ratio was simply absurd. There's no way he could have done the shooting. Uh, in fact, one of the most interesting aspects of the national reporting on the day, 14 December 2012, came from NBC, as I recall, reporting that Adam Lanza appeared not to exist. Well, I think that's exactly right, but the other rest of the national media simply ignored it and picked up on all the official account, which was complete rubbish, in Sophia Smallstorm's uh, unraveling Sandy Hook in two, three, four, and five dimensions in the opening. There's a bus making its way to Sandy Hook, and there's a monologue by an expert on marksmanship uh, who is explaining why this was a preposterous uh, feat of shooting. Uh, and indeed, Joyce Riley on the Power Hour featured another expert on marksmanship uh, by the name of Mike Power, who I understand actually is from Connecticut and therefore used a pseudonym, pseudonym uh, so, so that he would incur the wrath of the, the, the administration because everyone from top to bottom in the state, including the, these uh, fake actors who pretended to be the parents uh, the 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 uh, school board, the Newtown Police Department, the Connecticut State Police, the medical examiner, the governor, the lieutenant governor, right up to Attorney General Eric Holder and Barack Obama himself, were complicit in this event, this very elaborately staged event. But Adam appears to be a complete creature of fiction. He's supposed to have suffered from Asperger's syndrome, which affects motor control activity. He's even reported to have had aversion to touching metal parts, which means the idea of him handling firearms is ridiculous in the extreme. Uh, We have uh, all kinds of evidence uh, where even the official report about Sandy Hook, which took over a year to complete, a ridiculous amount of time, 
if it had been an honest uh, report about a real shooting, but makes a great deal of sense if its author, who was Danbury State's attorney, Stephen Sedensky, wanted to see how much information came out before he completed it so he could attempt to cover it, acknowledges that they cannot tie together the purported shooter with his alleged victims or the weapons he's supposed to have used. For example, the 22 caliber rifle with which he's alleged to have shot his mother in her bed had no fingerprints, and the only DNA they turned out was traced back to a, some convicted felon in another state, which ought to have been a huge red flag and vitiated the whole official narrative all by itself. Of the more than 150 slugs they recovered from the classroom, purportedly, there's a crucial footnote indicating that they were unable to match any of those slugs with a weapon that Adam Lons is alleged to have used which means that as a forensic study, this, this uh, final report completely fails to tie together a causal nexus connecting Adam Lanza with the rifle used to shoot his mother or the weapon used to shoot the children. It's a complete fiasco. It's an utter failure. And we have, as you are aware, but our readers no doubt, in Chapter 7, we have 50 photographs of how they were furnishing the Lanza home to serve as a prop. The house appears to have been empty, unoccupied, and in their furnishing you find a complete lack of any of the personal effects and details, not even a poster, for example, on the wall of Adam Lanza's room, which is arranged different ways. Sometimes it's neat, sometimes it's messy as they try to figure out what was going to be the most effective mode of presentation. We have a striking photograph from the Nancy Lanza bedroom where she's uh, uh, alleged to have been shot. And you can see some red material on the bed, but it's not blood and it's not in copious quantity. It looks more to me like it might be raspberry jam. There's a wooden chest at the foot of the bed and it has uh, forms that we also find in many of the other photographs that are keeping track of how they stage the furniture in each room. And then Kelly Watt, who has her own commercial and home cleaning company, Notice that beneath the left leg of the bed, there's a blue moving pad that they forgot to remove in their haste. This entire thing is a sham, and we have proven it from virtually every possible dimension in the book, which, as you are reminding our listeners, is available for free as a PDF, where you can see the photographs in color. Uh, in order to publish the book as a bound volume, we had to put them all in black and white, which makes some of the details, such as the blueness of the moving pad, uh, in, indistinguishable. Uh, but in the PDF, they're all in color. So, you know, you can get the. We have discovered, we have been able to find a new printer and, uh, and uh, distributor, by the way. So we've been able to make the book available again. And just as uh, we had actually sold nearly 500 copies in the less than one month that it was available on Amazon.com, since we have uh, opened the new website at moonrockbooks.com, we've sold over 100 additional, co uh, 500 additional copies in spite of the fact that it's available for free as a PDF. So you can have the best of both worlds. If you want to have the bound volume, you can obtain it now. But also the PDF with all the photos and color are available for free. And it is, of course, well worth checking out. It's also very good reference material for this conversation that we're having because anytime somebody hears something that makes them prick up their ears, and I think there will be many things already, it's very interesting to go back then and cross-reference with the book. So it's, it's vital material, it really is. 
So we've talked about Adam Lanza, but there's such a huge cast of characters. And again, for the sceptical, Jim, what say you if you were met with the opposition whereby somebody said to you, well, there are just too many people involved to be in on this as a grand conspiracy. How could they all be kept quiet about it? Well, they were all beneficiaries. In fact, uh, the the amount of donations that a, a generous, sympathetic American public have donated to the surviving families is in excess of 27 million, since there are 26 families. And much of the motivation that lay behind this activity was to create a cadre of anti-gun lobbyists with seemingly impeccable credentials. Each of those uh, families uh, have benefited to the tune of in excess of a million dollars. Some some say that 27 million is a minimal figure. It may be as much as 130 million. Uh, the first responders and the police have benefited from grants uh, in excess of 2.3 million that have been divvied up for their role, uh, supposedly because of the trauma they endured. But actually, it's for their passive role in uh, you know as actors uh, as first responders and so forth because there were no children who were dead and uh, not no one to be traumatized in fact we have video of the police uh, having lunch out in the parking lot where it's obvious that if they'd just seen you know the bodies the massacred bodies of 20 children and six adults They'd have no appetite. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. The Newtown School Board received a grant of $50 million to build a new school. I've already explained the decrepit condition of the old school. $50 million, where I looked into it, the average cost of a kindergarten through fourth grade school across the country is only $7 million. So that they receive seven times seven million to construct a new school. What's this going to be? The Taj Mahal of elementary schools? I mean, the whole thing is absurd. And we have all kinds of participants whose acting is fake, phony, unbelievable. You had Robbie Parker, for example, who claims to be the father of Emily Parker, who would, um, you know, who comes out the day after from the the building, and he's all laughing and jocular, and then he turns and sees the press, so he stops and hyperventilates and starts talking about being a grieved parent. But he remembers to mention the donation site for his daughter. Uh, we have the Wheelers that are especially interesting case because David Wheeler not only performs the role of a grieving father, but he also puts on a uniform and walks back and forth on Dickinson Drive with a weapon, making it look as though there was you know, serious involvement at a high military level where his wife, Francine, who turns out to be a B-grade uh, actress, is given the, the remarkable honor of giving a speech from the Oval Office we're doing the Ob- uh, about gun control, of course. We're doing the Obama administration. The only other person to have been allowed that honor of giving a speech from the Oval Office has been Joe Biden, Vice President of the United States. So here, Francine is able to give a speech for gun control. One of the purported teachers, Caitlin Roy, claims that she took 15 six-year-old students and crammed them into a three-by-four bathroom, uh, uh, which had a door that swung inward, by the way and where it, she claims that she pulled a bookcase uh, over to to keep the door closed. Uh, but there, are, there wouldn't be any bookcase in a three-by-four bathroom. You couldn't get 15 kids into it. Her story is completely manifestly absurd. Mm. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Now, we can give you great detail about all of this, but frankly, you got a 425 book that puts it at your fingertips, and you can go over and over any of the issues you want to address. One of the most obnoxious 
players in all of this is this fellow who claims to be Lenny Posner, uh, the father of uh, Noah Posner, another of those who's alleged to have died, uh, where Lenny's real name may or may not be Leonard P. Osner. Uh, he appears to be a fabricated character all by himself, but where he had over a hundred uh, hours of conversation with Kelly Watt, whom I previously mentioned as having her own uh, commercial and home cleaning service who identified the blue moving pad beneath the leg of the bed, uh, where during that hundred hours, Kelly told Lenny how she didn't believe a word he said, she didn't believe he had a son, she didn't believe anyone died there, she asked him for proof. And where Lenny inadvisably, I believe, sent Kelly a copy of a death certificate, which we have proven to be a fabrication. It's right in the book. Uh, there's so many things that are wrong with it. Obviously, if uh, Noah had actually died, Lenny would not have had to fake a death certificate. He is so worried, I think, about you know the hoax being exposed that he's gone to many different websites, issued all kinds of frivolous copyright complaints about the photograph of, of Noah, where uh, James Tracy, one of our contributors, sought to determine whether or not those were legitimate copyright claims, and Lenny used it as an occasion to viciously attack James Tracy for harassment when Tracy wasn't harassing whatsoever. He was actually looking out for the public good because uh, the, the, these people have received so much money from the public on the basis of a fabricated event. I think Lenny is worried that he, if it's exposed as a hoax, if it becomes generally known, that he may have to return the million dollars and even be prosecuted for fraud. So he's turned it into a vendetta against James Tracy. And although he's a very fine, accomplished professor in their school of communications and where one of his areas of research specialization is the media in relation to conspiracies and conspiracy theories, uh, his institution, Florida Atlantic, uh, recently sent him a notice of its intent to terminate his position as a tenured professor. And just to show how shabby all of this is and how deceitful, it claims that it's, it's going to fire him uh, for having failed to submit forms about his outside activities in a timely fashion. Uh, look, after 35 years in higher education, this is a manifest absurdity. No tenured faculty member is going to be removed from their position for the failure to file forms on time. I mean, think of that lack of proportionality. The punishment should fit the crime. Yeah. You might have him come into the dean's office, be chewed out, take a ruler, wrap him across the knuckles. If it's bad enough, put a letter of censure in his file, but remove a tenured professor? It's simply completely absurd. Florida Atlantic has succumbed to all kinds of political pressure, where Lenny Posner has published multiple articles attacking him. One was in the Sun Sentinel, a local paper. Another was in Fort a Jewish magazine. Uh, these attacks on Tracy have even reached out to the Washington Post, no less. Uh, an article appeared recently in Inside Higher Education, which has many faculty uh, as its readers. And each of these occasions has given me an opportunity to post a response and explain what's going on. For example, in relation to Inside Higher Education, where the author, who, who the reporter whose first name was Scott, was talking about how Tracy was harassing them, I, I published the following. 
Scott has it backwards. Tracy has not been harassing the Posners. The Posners have been stalking him. There are several oddities about Noah Posner's alleged death that Tracy was attempting to sort out. One, the death certificate that Lenny gave to Kelly Watt turns out to be a fabrication. And two, Noah is reported to have died twice, first in Newtown on 14 December 2012, then again in Pakistan on 16 December 2014. The depositors have received over a million dollars in donations from sympathetic Americans, and Lenny is worried that if the hoax is exposed, he may have to give it back and even be prosecuted for fraud. So he has attacked Tracy. Tracy was one of 13 contributors to my book, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook 2015, which includes six PhD, current or retired college professors and other experts on Sandy Hook, such as Paul Preston, an LA school safety expert who was so troubled by what he saw being broadcast that he reached out to his contacts in the Obama Department of Education all of whom confirmed that it was a drill, that no children had died, and that it had been done to promote gun control. The 425-page book demonstrates that the school had been closed by 2008, which meant there were no children there for Adam Lanza to have killed. The book was published on 22 October 2015 and had sold nearly 500 copies when it was banned without explanation by Amazon.com. I made inquiries, but no one could tell me why, where the notice of suppression made a vague allusion to their guidelines. But it had passed their guidelines before it was published, and if it violated their guidelines, surely they could have told me which guidelines it had violated. When Jay Garvey, Obama's press spokesman, left the White House, he became senior vice president for Amazon.com. The book exposed the event as a hoax and demonstrates that the keystone of his gun control agenda is a fraud. We have the FEMA manual for the two-day event where the rehearsal was held on the 13th going live on the 14th. Some participants did not understand that and posted donation pages a day early. Even Adam's date of death was initially recorded as having occurred on the 13th. Would have made his feet in shooting 20 children and six adults the following day all the more remarkable. In response to the ban, I released the book to the public for free as a PDF. You can do a search and download it for yourself. That inside education has been played comes as no surprise to me. The entire country has been played for saps. It is quite incredible. And it's not just James Tracy then who has been attacked. So many of you who are involved with the book and who have sought to expose the conspiracy that is and was Sandy Hook have come under some form of attack. One that springs to mind is Wolfgang Halbig, who had been quite prominent in the research that he had done into the exposition as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happened with him? Yeah, Wolfgang's a super guy. He's a former Florida State trooper. He's a former U.S. Customs agent. Those are positions, by the way, that require a high degree of competence and trust. He's a former school principal. He's a nationally recognized school safety expert. Wolfgang became involved by making FOIA inquiries to obtain information about what had happened so he could advise other school systems on what steps they should take to ensure it didn't happen to them. He discovered his FOIA requests were going unanswered, his phone calls were not being returned, and before he knew it, there were two homicide detectives from a local precinct on the on the door of his home in a gated community in Florida who explained they were there on behalf of the Connecticut State Police to advise him that if he continued to raise questions about Sandy Hook, he would be prosecuted. 
that was precisely the wrong thing to say to Wolfgang, who, like a bulldog, has dug in and continued his pursuit of the truth. Uh, I even traveled with Wolfgang to Newtown in order for the two of us to appear between the uh, meeting of the Newtown School Board, where we were given three minutes apiece uh, to explain why we were concerned about what was going on here and to elicit information that might help to clarify the situation. Uh, you can find this on YouTube. Uh, during my three minutes, among other points, I raised the question, when were the parents notified that their children were attending school in a toxic waste dump? The whole situation is absurd. We visited the Northwestern uh, United Way, which had been one of the recipients of these uh, donations. Uh, and though it was contrary to law, they refused to allow Wolfgang to review their records. We went to the Newtown Police Department where the three ranking officers were there who had involved in it, but they refused to meet with us. After lunch, we went to the firehouse just down the road from where the school was located to speak to the fire chief who had rushed down with his daughter, also a member of the volunteer fire department because they were both uh, EMT qualified and they were refused admittance into the school. In fact, it's remarkable, not even the parents were allowed to see the dead children. It was done using photographs. As a parent myself, I can assure you, no power on earth could stop me from seeing the body of one of my children if they were allegedly dead. Photographs wouldn't cut it. Yeah. Uh, we went to, uh, the, the chief wasn't there at the time, so we went up the school, went up the road toward the school, <clears throat> and were able to gain access to a property that was for sale adjacent to where the school had stood by calling and requesting permission from the owner. And you can see it had been completely leveled and destroyed. Uh, where one of the fascinating features is that they even required those who had been hired to participate in the demolition of the school to sign lifetime gag orders about what they had or had not seen, which would have included, I am confident, no blood on the floor, no pockmarks in the walls from, from bullets that had never been fired. Lifetime gag orders, I'll bet in the history of the United States there's not another case of this kind, clearly intended to conceal information. Uh, when the fire chief was there, we returned and Wolfgang sought to approach him and actually was uh, involved in a minor altercation with a fireman who was very unhappy to have us there, who actually gave Wolfgang a shove, which led him to call the Newtown uh, Police Department, ironically. So an officer we'd spoken there who'd explained the, the senior officers wouldn't talk with him, came out and took our statements. I gave a sworn statement having witnessed this, so did Wolfgang, uh, because it was a form of assault and battery. I mean, it was completely ridiculous. Well, we had uh, dinner, but in the meanwhile, we visited various locales in, in Sandy Hook, which is a very exclusive division of Newtown, where, by the way, the FBI in its consolidated crime report for 2012 reported murders in Newtown zero, which, of course, implies no murders in Sandy Hook since it's a division of Newtown. So you even have the FBI confirming that nobody died at Sandy Hook. And we went to, for example, a soccer field where every blade of grass was meticulously manicured, indicating that the decrepit condition of the school, you know, was incompatible with the general tenor of this uh, high, uh, high visibility community with a lot, you know, a lot of wealth in, in Sandy Hook. So we did then make, a, after we had dinner, the visit to the Newtown School Board, which was most unhappy to see us. In fact, Patricia LaLorda, 
who was the first select man of Newtown and a member of the school board, uh, or at least she was in attendance, that's a position equivalent to being mayor, saw me outside the door waiting for access and told the security guard, he's not a friend of ours, referring to me, knowing that I'd been a critic and was raising issues about this. In fact, before the book was published, I myself had published over 30 articles about Sandy Hook. One of our other contributors, Dr. Eowyn, who has a website entitled Fellowship of the Mind, 80 articles about Sandy Hook. I mean, uh, these are people who have done a huge amount of research. And eventually Wolfgang would uh, obtain an attorney and pursue the failure to satisfy his FOIA request, which was being subverted by the attorney for the representing the, the city or the state by the name of Monty Frank, who even told witnesses who had been subpoenaed by Wolfgang to appear that they didn't have to appear. He was taking all kinds of measures to subvert the law. Uh, Wolfgang was able, however, to extract the report from Patricia LaLorda that the, the sign everyone must check in had been placed there not by the city but by Homeland Security, which was another form of confirmation. So I think there's no approach you can take to this issue that doesn't lead to the same conclusion to wit that the school had been closed by 2008, that this was a drill for which I included the manual right in the book as the first appendix, and that no one was killed. It was done to promote gun control. I mean, it is proven. Well, that is the thing. No matter what angle you look at it from, you're able to quite simply list off a litany of different things that are not just anomalies. I mean, a lot of them as as standalone factors are almost like smoking guns. Many people, when they reference 9-11, will talk about Building 7, the Salman Brothers building, as being the smoking gun for 9-11. But there seem to be so many smoking guns with regard to Sandy Hook. It's just, it really goes beyond the bounds of credulity that it could be anything but the drill that you've just described that I suppose went hot or live. You're absolutely right, John. And I mean, just to indicate the profundity of the details with which we know exactly what happened, not only do we have chapter seven with those 50 photographs of furnishing the Lanza home to serve as a prop, but in chapter eight, we have 50 more of refurbishing the school. We even have the moving vans there. We have photos of the nameplate for the classroom still with a moving van sticker on it. We have a photograph, absolutely classic exhibit 26 in chapter eight, where you can see the SWAT team is already there just above the top of the SWAT team vehicle. You can see a row of four windows in classroom 10 that are undamaged, which means the shooting hadn't taken place. Uh, the, the, the flag is at full mass, but you can look down, you see crime scene tape is up for a crime that is yet to be committed. And, and none other than Wayne Carver is reclining against a wall with his arm folded, waiting for the arrival of his portable uh, mortuary tent. Uh, I, I corroborate that by showing photographs, which are also in the exhibits of the windows undamaged, where the second from the left in particular would be severely shot out during the alleged event. Then the windows damaged, so you can compare and see what I'm talking about. Then we have a photo of the perps drilling holes in the window frame of the classroom window uh, uh, and uh, of pink rods sticking out to show their trajectories. And each of the holes they drilled is exactly 90 degrees perpendicular to the window itself. Inside, from inside, the trajectories are exactly 55 degrees from the alleged shooting location. They're all perfectly parallel. I mean, this is preposterous. We even have a photograph showing the, the aluminum peeled out inside the, the classroom, which of course would be the opposite if these shots had been fired from outside. This was such a devastating proof 
of the complicity of the of the government in these events that when when uh, Infowars published an article about the banning of the book, they used the same photograph, but I was surprised that they had an even better quality version where you could see the details with greater specificity, and it had an image credit to Connecticut State Police, which I think is why it was only up for 38 minutes. It had 178 comments. They took it down right away because this photograph had come from the files of the Connecticut State Police that proved the Connecticut State Police were complicit in the crime because the windows were undamaged. I mean, it's really stunning. And get this, John, this is almost unbelievable. I've had a mass press release sent out to over 20,000 media in the United States, all level, television, radio, newspapers, large presses, small presses, about Sandy Hook, about the book being banned, about the evidence, even including, as I recall, that photograph and the photograph from uh, the Nancy Lanza bedroom. And would you believe of those 20,000, we had exactly two replies, one from a very small newspaper in Colorado Springs that published it as an oddity. Look what's came in, come in over the transom. Mm -hmm. And yet it gave an opportunity for me to comment and for others who were not so easily taken in. And then I was contacted by a fellow who has a radio program in Atlanta who had me on for about maybe a total of 12 minutes but it was a 50,000-watt station, and we got a lot of information out in that brief interval of time. But when you have you know, this kind of information about a spectacular event, the banning of a book, uh, this is reminiscent of the Nazi book ba banning uh, prior to World War II, and the American press is docile, silent, passive, and accepting. You know something is terribly wrong. Thomas Jefferson was once asked whether he'd prefer a government without newspapers or newspapers without a government and expressed his preference for the latter over the former. Mm. But he never in his wildest dreams would have imagined the degree of complicity, passivity, and tolerance and, and, and reinforcement of false accounts coming from the government, precisely the opposite role that he expected the so-called fourth estate would play under our constitutional system. And it's quite amazing as well to look at the trajectory of Amazon as the company has expanded. It's ubiquitous and it's the go-to site online pretty much for the world's repository of books and certainly with regard to any kind of mainstream books. And that makes it very, very easy to curtail something. I mean, if this was just the traditional sense and books being printed, it would be much more difficult. You had to have literal book burnings, as you mentioned there in Nazi Germany and in various different places in the past. When everything is electronic as it is now, it's a much easier thing to suppress if there's information getting out there that the powers that shouldn't be don't want out there. And that seems to be what's happened with you as the only Sandy Hook referencing book to have been banned. And from the books that I have read, the only one that goes into this kind of depth and proves by drawing together so many different sources and references and individuals. And for those who still require... I suppose, academic, mainstream, qualified individuals to corroborate any story. I mean, your, your book is unparalleled in that regard also. So I think it's beyond question when people read the book. It's absolutely paradigm shattering. And it speaks volumes to me anyway, that this book, 
of all books has been banned. I mean, in my opinion, no book should be banned no matter what it says. And with regard to offence and people taking offence, I think the words are telling. People can take offence all they like. I don't think it's possible to be offensive. One must take offence. And what offends you might be very different to what offends me. And there might be somebody else who doesn't get offended by anything. So it's something that worries me and it has become so easy now. It's one of the ways that the control system has managed managed to use what I think the internet while it has become a huge unveiling in a sense with regard to access to information for the common man or woman they've also managed to figure out ways to get a lot of information condensed into one source and that way they can control it and I think the banning of books through Amazon is one prime example of it but I I think it's very commendable that you have put the book out there for free and you've totally sacrificed any kind of potential profit and the book did look like it was going to be a bestseller in in favor of actually getting the information out there you know no question john i mean selling you know more than or around close to 500 in less than a month that meant it was on a trajectory to become a bestseller it already had nearly 80 reviews which fell into a a bimodal distribution you had a whole lot of five-star ratings from people who'd actually read the book Mm. a whole lot of one-star ratings from trolls and shills who hadn't and wanted to suppress the average ranking. But think of this, not only are there 20 books or did they have 20 books on Sandy Hook where they suppressed the only one that drew conclusions that disagreed with the government implying that if you publish a book that disagrees with the government, you run the risk of having your book banned as Mm. happened in this case. But Amazon publishes all kinds of books that are offensive to many. Mein Kampf being an obvious example. They have books on necrophilia. They have books on sadomasochism. They have books on, you know, sex trafficking, abuse, and torture. Uh, I think that uh, Amazon ought to be concerned about allowing uh, publication of every theory anyone wants and let the market decide uh, who's going to uh, buy what books because you can't you can't discover the truth if you can't consider the alternatives. And what they're doing is trying to suppress the alternative that this was an elaborate hoax, a drill conducted to promote gun control versus the idea that it was a slaughter of 20 children and six adults to promote gun control uh, on its own, but not a hoax. I mean, it's it's outrageous, John, and that uh, Amazon.com should should be such a compromised entity speaks volumes about the current state of freedom of the press and freedom of speech in the United States today. I agree fully. And I think it's to be encouraged that people go and check out the material for themselves. So remind us about how people can get their hands on it if they want to download the PDF. Well, one of many sites, and and there are quite a few that have it now, is rents.com, where you go to the homepage and scroll down about a quarter of the way, and you'll see a box about this stunning book about Sandy Hook. Just click that. It'll give you the the PDF, and I discovered, in fact, that there had been some decay in the original PDF I gave them, so I gave them an updated version that is complete. So if you go to Rents today, you can get the complete book. If you went there before, you might want to download it again to make sure you have the complete book. <clears throat> and then if, in addition, you want the bound volume, you can go to moonrockbooks.com, and you can obtain a copy of the bound volume, because many people, you know, don't want to have to transport a computer around to read a book. They like to have a bound volume. Well, in this case, you can have the best of both worlds. You can have the PDF with all the photographs in color accessible to you for free. And then the bound volume you can obtain through moonrockbooks.com. 
Fantastic. We'll get the links up on the website as well. But you did mention earlier on, and uh, it's a measure of your how prolific you are as an author, that you have another book coming out in a matter of weeks. And since we're on the topic of false flags, I think it would be uh, nice to touch on this one, that being the Boston Marathon bombing or alleged bombing. Tell us about that as a false flag, because to my mind, this is one of the most obvious ones that has been put in front of us over the last number of years. John, you're completely correct. It's the original amateur hour. We even have video where you can hear the police on bullhorns calling out, this is a drill. This is a drill. We even have tweets from the Boston Globe explaining that a demonstration bomb is going to be set off during the marathon for the benefit of bomb squad activities. We have a second tweet stating that one's going to be set off in front of the library in one minute, and one minute later one is set off in front of the Boston Public Library. Uh, These are puff bombs. Nathan Folks, actually a Hollywood producer-director, doesn't even believe they were explosive at all, but were done with a smoke machine. Believe it or not, we have confirmation from uh, stunning work by Alan Powell, once again, who gave us chapters seven and eight of the Sandy Hook book, who has two chapters about the Boston bombing in the new book, which will be out next month. And he's even identified the location of the smoke machine. You have have bodies on the ground that are missing body parts, but there's no blood. Lorraine uh, Day, who was the chief of trauma surgery for San Francisco General Hospital for 25 years, observed that's a physiological impossibility. The explanation being that in this case, they hired uh, amputee crisis actors who already had missing limbs the most obvious of whom was this Jeff Bauman, who's supposed to have had both of his legs blown up below the knee. He's actually lying there beneath a smoke with no blood. There's a fellow in a hoodie who's helping to attach a false uh, bone extension. It has a, a fake fibia tibia, but it doesn't resemble a real bone to emphasize her, her, the emotional impact of all of this. Uh, there's a fellow standing around in a cowboy hat whom uh, the, the, the producer, director Nathan Folks has identified as an actor he cast in one of his own films. His name is Carlos Arredondo. He's been hailed as a hero, but he's a complete fraud. He's just an actor following a script. They push, uh, they push this fellow whose name is supposed to be Jeff Bauman away in a wheelchair. Well, if he actually had lost his uh, legs, both legs below the, the, the knee, uh, there would have been copious quantities of blood. He would have been unconscious in a minute, dead in two. The last thing you'd do would be to put him in a wheelchair where gravity will help to pull the blood out of his legs. But because he'd already lost his legs, this is just a fabrication. They put him in the wheelchair, and I'm told they actually ran the wheelchair thing twice to get the better footage. It's outrageous. We have a similar event in Sandy Hook where the photograph of a policewoman escorting a string of children uh, was done twice to get the best shot. And in the second shot, you can see a host of parents looking on with their arms crossed as the policewoman rearranges the children in the line. And two parents in the background who are lounging at the massacre. Uh, Wolfgang believes, by the way, this photograph was taken sometime earlier. Uh, The Newtown Bee photographer, Shannon Hicks, insists she took both photographs and they were on 14 December. But it was uh, 28 degrees Fahrenheit. There was frost on the ground. There's no frost on the ground here. You can see automobile exhaust and other photographs, no exhaust from the children. Or I mean, it's all part of the elaborate hoax. Now, with return to uh, Boston bombing, uh, rushing him away in a wheelchair, as I say, is exactly the wrong thing to do. Carlos Arredondo is beside him holding 
a piece of rag as though it were a tourniquet, but it's too loose to have had any effect had he actually been suffering these real injuries. Something like 19 days later, we see someone appearing at a Boston Bruins game who's supposed to be the same guy, but actually appears to be a different fellow who's had his legs amputated above the knee. I was on with Dr. Stan Monteith, who now deceased, who is an orthopedic surgeon who performed these kinds of surgeries, amputations of legs, and he said it takes six months just to recover from the surgery and another six months to learn how to get around without your legs. And yet here, this 19 days later, he's there cheerful, waving a flag and all that, given a standing ovation. I mean, it's completely fraudulent. We even have the form they use for amputee actors. Uh, we have discovered that the footage of the brothers at the marathon is fake. I was tipped off to this by Marette Saranova, who is the aunt of the boys, who explained to me that that footage was fake, and I asked her how she could prove it, and she started sending me all kinds of links and photos, including that the fact that the older brother, Tamerlan, is clean-shaven in the footage, uh, but she showed me photographs of him lying in bed with his cat. He has a beard. She sent me a link to him and Zoker working out in a gymnasium. He has a beard. He was contacted by a friend the day of the bombing, relieved of discovery, he was nowhere in the vicinity. They had dinner together that night. He had a beard. Uh, there's footage of him and Zoker outside a convenience store. Zoker's actually inside. Uh, you can see him outside. He has a beard. The arrest photograph of him being stripped naked and put into a police car, he has a beard. Even the photograph showing him dead. And notice this happens after the police have taken him into custody where the Americans are such gullible saps that they could uh, entertain the idea his brother could have run over him with an SUV after he had been taken into custody by the police. In fact, we have a witness who reported watching the police drive over him repeatedly in an SUV, apparently his own vehicle, but it was after he'd been taken into custody and even the photograph of him dead, he's got a beard. Uh, it was a really fascinating exercise to get into this where the article where you can find my interview with Moret uh, is on my blog at jamesfetzer.blogspot.com entitled, They Didn't Do It. Brett Saranova blows apart the Boston show trial, where I also include the observations of a retired professor of law who's been a, both a prosecutor and a defense attorney by the name of John Remington Graham, where John makes the observation that in both the FBI report and in the formal indictment for Zoker in Boston, that it explains that the two bombs that exploded were in black nylon backpacks. But we have footage of the two boys wearing backpacks, and one of them is silver, the other is tan, neither of them is a black nylon backpack, which means, as he observed, that there wasn't even probable cause for an arrest, much less an indictment or a conviction. The whole thing was fraudulent. Everyone from the police to the Boston Globe to the prosecutor to the defense attorney to the judge knew this was an elaborate hoax, and yet they went through it, went forward with it anyway where it appears to have had the objective of, in this instance, not only demonizing Muslims, because the two young men are supposed to have been from the Chechnya region of Russia, mm. uh, but also, you know, violating or undermining posse comitatus because it was massive military presence to lock down a city and search for a 19-year-old college student who actually had nothing to do with it, in fact. And, and uh, where, in, in, in addition... Uh, we know that uh, 
you know, the, the whole thing was was a sham. The trial was completely unrealistic. There's a mountain of proof about all of this, which you'll find in the new book that'll be out next month. It's incredible. And again, that's something that needs to be looked at by people. No matter how sceptical they may be, when you're presented with the truth, it's obvious that it is the truth, particularly when it's backed up and backed up by people who so credibly and meticulously have researched the work, <laughs> such as what you have done. So... How, how, tell us more about the book. Will that be available on Amazon, Jim? Or what's the story going to be there? I mean, well, is, have I'm they a kind of a blacklisting procedure now? Well, have your I, other books been taken I, down? I could care less about Amazon at this point in time. I have a new website for these new books, and there will be others, John. Moonrockbooks.com. Now, if you want to get the truth, don't go to Amazon. What's the point of benefiting the suppressor, the banner of books that the American people are entitled to know that reveal the truth about their own history? Let me say, by the way, that, that there's no blood initially beneath the smoke, but it shows up later. It's coming out of tubes. It's Hollywood blood. It, it remains bright orangish red. It doesn't turn dark as real blood turns dark. We have all kinds of photographs of crisis actors there. Uh, in fact, Alan has discovered photographs of the assistants to the amputee actors who are actually carrying their prostheses in bags to give them when they're done with their performance. We have a photograph of one woman who's claimed to have broken both uh, both legs, her tibia and fibia, and both of her legs, and she's sitting there passively, would juxtapose with photographs of professional athletes who suffered lesser versions of these injuries who are on the ground wincing in pain because it's so extraordinary. Uh, this was completely fabricated event. It's the most artificial, superficial of its kind we've ever seen. Speaking of superficiality and false flags and the realm of the unexplained, if you like, there is a topic that I've been quite interested in but don't know a huge amount about. And one or two guests on Alchemy in the past have kind of briefly touched on this. Mark Devlin, who you may be familiar with, being one. And you have written extensively on this in some of your past work. It's the issue of Paul McCartney from the Beatles and the possibility or the allegation that he may have died in the past and been replaced by an actor. Tell me a little bit about that, if only to kind of spark my interest and my personal curiosity, because I remember when I first heard it, I thought, I mean, come on, there's no way that can't be true in any way but the more I read and the more I looked at it it kind of made me question so I'd be very interested to get your take in person on it Jim well your reaction was the same as mine I had a, a colleague who actually spoke at the Vancouver hearings uh, about uh, Judy Wood's theory of how the, the Twin Towers had been destroyed yeah. using directed energy weapons by the name of Claire Kuhn she did a very commendable job Claire has a uh, has a, a blog, I think it's entitled, We Can Know Sometimes, meaning sometimes we can know what happened, where she's done a massive amount of work on uh, Paul McCartney, and where for at least a year and a half, uh, she was talking to me about this. I became rather interested, but not convinced even remotely, until I discovered that, in fact, Wired Magazine had uh, published in its Wired Italia, the Italian version, the, the study uh, of two Italian forensic scientists who set out to disprove the hypothesis that Paul had died and been replaced because it had become a, a quite a, a sensation, uh, a rumor in, in, the, in the underground Beatles uh, community uh, by many people who detected considerable differences before and after Sergeant Pepper. 
uh, which uh, marked in terms of their publication of albums, the turning point here. And the forensic scientists discovered that there were differences between Paul before and Paul after uh, 1966, which where oddly enough, he may have died on 9-11-1966. They differed in the size and shape of their skulls. They differed in their teeth. They differed in their palates. They differed in their ears. Uh, we even have discovered photographs with the same person, Jane Asher, to whom Paul was engaged before and after, and Paul's about the same height as Jane Asher, but after, Paul is suddenly several inches taller than Jane Asher. Uh, there's a mountain of proof, but it was that discovery of the forensic evidence that convinced me that we were talking about two different people, so that I published an article about, uh, you know, the, the, the Paul when there was an... Uh, an article published that was touted as Ringo's confession about how Paul had died and how they'd replaced Paul and how they felt guilty about not revealing uh, what had actually happened to their fans. And uh, I thought that Ringo's confession had the ring of truth. But there are others who are attacking me for having been gullible and taking it in. So that when I put together the moon book, it's entitled, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either, which interestingly, John, was intended to be the sequel to the Sandy Hook book. So you get the one book saying nobody died at Sandy Hook, to which someone might respond, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either, <laughs> yeah. which in fact turns out to be true. We didn't go to the moon either. So I got a, four chapters about not going to the moon in the book. I've got four chapters about Paul. These are 100 pages on each of these topics. And, and the, the arguments about Paul become extremely detailed and revealing. In fact, one of the contributors, Nick Kohlerstrom, has subsequently published a book of his own entitled, uh, and I'm looking at it right now, The Life and Death of Paul McCartney, 1942 to 1966, which is also under the imprint of Moon Rock Books, in which we're going to you know, link to the website so you can obtain that book too. But the fact of the matter is that there are enormous differences. It's not just a matter of the clues that were left in I Am a Walrus, for example, A Day in a Life, and a whole lot of the other. Where I've been a huge enthusiast for the Beatles. In fact, I did uh, a radio show for many years called The Real Deal, which you can find at radiofetzer.blogspot.com. And where there were 880 shows I did done uh, before I moved to NBC, where I have a video show. So I have this new video show uh, since this year, where I have about 150 of video shows because I, I knew the benefits of being able to show the evidence, show the photographs, show the documents, show the records, and it's made a tremendous difference uh, in you know getting information out to the public. But I'd done a couple of interviews, you know, about Paul on the old uh, purely audio real deal, which anyone can access by going to radiofetzer.blogspot.com. And, uh, you know, I gradually became convinced that this was sufficiently important for the following reason. If you could replace uh, someone as prominent as Paul McCartney, who might very well be described as the most closely observed and intensely scrutinized figure in the entire world, and get away with it by and large fool the public, then you can get away with replacing virtually anyone so that in the same book, after the chapters on Paul McCartney, I had two chapters about the first death of Saddam Hussein, who actually was taken out in a B-1 bomber strike on 7 April 2003, just three weeks into the invasion of Iraq, uh, which uh, by, uh, 
he, he and his two sons and 50 or 60 members of his general staff were taken out in, the, in, in an attack on a, a restaurant in the outskirts of Baghdad. He, Saddam and his sons had been using the British-made Jaguar cell phones, which the, 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 the government, you know, obtaining information from the UK was able to triangulate their location so that a, a bomber pilot by the name of Chris Walker was on a mission and was diverted, given new coordinates. He was told this was the big one, be sure not to miss. And he dropped uh, four J-Dam bombs on the restaurant, reduced it to rebel. I had been contacted by his mother, Yvonne Wachter, when I was doing my radio show to tell me about this. And I was in a state of disbelief. And I said, Yvonne, this is fascinating. Can you confirm it? And she started t sending me all kinds of documents and records and articles, even, for example, Dick Cheney reporting that he we got Saddam, that his lifeless body was dragged out of the rubble that had been published in the New York Times, no less. So we, we, it turned out that Chris, uh, after, when he, after he performed the mission and reduced the restaurant to rubble, when he returned to base, he was lionized. He would put on CNN. He'd eventually be given the Distinguished Flying Cross. Um, and and uh, George Bush was going to announce this on the mission accomplished on the USS Liberty, the aircraft carrier off the coast of San Diego, when someone realized, and we suspect it was Donald Rumsfeld, that three presidents had signed executive orders against the assassination of the heads of foreign nations, Reagan, Carter, and Ford, so that if, uh, in fact, W announced that we'd taken out Saddam, he would have been admitting that he'd committed a violation of the law as it has been interpreted. Though personally, I believe many of these executive orders are unconstitutional. All the gun orders that Obama's been signing that violate the Second Amendment. Mm. Where the problem is, there's a lot of mischief that can take place in between the signing of an executive order when it ever undergoes constitutional scrutiny. So he can get away with a lot. And in my opinion, Obama has become a traitor to the United States after taking an oath of office to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. So Bush uh, couldn't announce that Saddam had been taken out, which is why the whole event on the USS Liberty was a bit of a fiasco. Uh, in that, in, instead, what happened is this, uh, that uh, Chris Walker was fetid by the Reverend Robert Schiller in the Crystal Cathedral in Orange County, where Schiller's uh, services on Sundays are so prominent that they're televised worldwide. And we had the television footage of him fetting Chris Walker for taking out Saddam Hussein, uh, which I included in articles I published about this. And uh, where, uh, as soon as that was televised, they, they, they knew at the Pentagon they had a problem. They ordered him to fly back to Langley and informed him that while they admired his flying skill, uh, that officially Saddam had gotten away, uh, leaving him in a quandary wondering what in the world was going on. They took a double of Saddam. They put him in a spider hole. I mean, Saddam was the ruler of a great, one of the world's most ancient civilizations. He had like five, seven palaces. He would never have, have deigned to climb down into a spider hole. But they took one of his doubles and, and claimed to have captured him. This is the person they held in prison and then put on trial, where Joe Viles, who was a brilliant journalist from Australia, noticed that there was a discrepancy in the truth and the bite, that the real Saddam had excellent teeth, and an overbite, and his replacement 
had had uh, very bad teeth and an underbite. So it's like some of the features we discovered in the case of distinguishing between Paul and Fall, that is F-A-U-L, referred to as false Paul before and after 9-11, 1966. In fact, even the, the Red Cross arranged for Saddam's wife to visit him and when she went to visit him, she came out screaming, oh, this is not my husband, uh, this is a double, what have you done with my husband? But the world's press didn't pick up on it. He was put on trial, uh, presumably hung. I initially believed that he, he was induced to participate in the elaborate charade with a claim that they wouldn't actually hang him and they would only fake it, and then he could spend the rest of his life in Tahiti sipping Mai Tais. But mm -hmm. when you got a guy like that, uh, he can't be seen anywhere else in the world. Uh, he would have been so conspicuous, so I believe they reneged on there and then actually hung him, which of course was a spectacular event, but it was all totally fraudulent. I also published two more chapters about the second death of Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden was actually an official of the CIA. His rank was colonel. He was known as Tim Osman. He was our man in Afghanistan. When the Stinger missiles were provided to the resistance movement to drive the Russians out, he was instrumental in getting them into their hands. They shot down so many Soviet helicopters and planes that the Soviets had to withdraw. Uh, he died of natural causes in Afghanistan, actually from his medical maladies. He'd even been visited in a hospital in Dubai not long before his death by an official of the CIA. It's tough to get those dialysis machines in and out of those caves in Afghanistan. He died on 15 December 2001. 2001. Uh, he, there were local obituaries. He was buried in an unmarked grave in accordance with Muslim tradition. Uh, David Ray Griffin has a whole book about it, Osama bin Laden dead or alive. Nick Kohlerstrom, historian from science, of, of, of science from the UK, who is the leading expert on the 7-7 London attacks. His book, Terror on the Tube, is now in its third edition, published an article, Osama bin Laden, 1957 uh, to 2001. Uh, which you can find online. Even Fox News, which is often belittled, was on top of this story because already on 26 December, they had published uh, 2001, they had published an article you can still find online, uh, Osama bin Laden reported dead, and they were spot on. So what happened was 11 years later, uh, the CIA continued to play on using fake images of Osama, phony audio tapes that he was still around, and the Obama administration was in deep trouble in 2011. His birth certificate from Hawaii, where I spent two hours with an expert going through it, which we established to be as fraudulent as Lenny Posner's death certificate for, for Noah was fraudulent. Uh, wanted to, you know, get that issue off the table. He was being criticized for still having Guantanamo open, though it was actually the Republicans who thwarted his every effort and for having troops stationed in Pakistan. So they claimed that the tip had come from a prisoner at Guantanamo. Gee, aren't we glad it's still open. He used <laughs> yeah. troops in Pakistan. Well, I guess it's good they were there after all to raid a compound. The whole thing was completely phony. The photograph that was supposed to be Osama with a clicker in front of a TV set was identified by local residents as the owner of the compound. None of them had ever seen Heidner hair of Osama bin Laden. 
uh, which makes sense since he'd actually died 10 years earlier. Uh, they widely broadcast, uh, published a photograph of, of the higher ranking officials of the Obama administration looking at a big screen TV. You got Hillary Clinton, you got Joe Biden, you got Barack uh, Obama himself. Uh, but Leon, that was supposed to be watching the event go down in real time, but Leon Panetta, the short term uh, then director of the CIA, blew their cover by observing there'd been no coverage, no live coverage of the event for the first 20 or 25 minutes, when the whole event only took 20 or 25 minutes. Uh, so, but, but Obama succeeded politically by wiping the issue of his uh, birth certificate off the front page and positioning for a triumphal re-election re by having taken out the most wanted uh, man in the world. All complete rubbish. You can find all of this and much more, including four chapters about the Holocaust uh, by three world-class experts and then by me giving a summary overview of what we know because once again, we've been given a narrative that's completely uh, discrepant with what uh, empirical evidence and scientific research discloses. All of that is in the book, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either, which you can obtain again at moonrockbooks.com. And it's a book that I have read, and it's entirely fascinating, and there's so much good information in there as well. So what's next for you then, following the, the publication of the Boston Marathon bombings book, Jim? Where is your research leading you now? Because you've such a wide and varied body of work at this stage. Well, I expect to do additional books, including on JFK, uh, to you know more recent research, which has been absolutely staggering. Uh, for example, uh, we know that the, 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 the limousine stop during which uh, the driver, William Greer, pulled the limousine to the left and to a halt, throwing the, the passengers forward, uh, was only a small part of the story. And I, I have already recounted how they painted out the hole in the back of his head, but that I found in frame 374, you can actually see it, all of which was reported in uh, the great Zapruder film hoax 2003. Mm. Uh, we've discovered uh, that, in fact, the limo stop was far more extensive than I ever supposed. I thought it might be six or eight seconds during which those two shots were fired, much more. Larry Rivera has rediscovered the work of uh, F Fred Newcomb, who had interviewed all four of the motorcycle escort officers and their supervisor, Stavis Ellis, all of whom confirmed the limo stop. In fact, get this, after Hargis was hit with the debris so hard, he initially thought he himself had been shot. He parked his bike, dismounted from his bike, ran between the two limousines to the grassy knoll from which he believed the shot had been fired. Officer Jackson on the right motored up the grassy knoll until his bike fell over, then proceeded forward on foot. Uh, and five agents in the Secret Service Cadillac, affectionately known as Queen Mary, surrounded the presidential limousine. One of them took a chunk of skull from a little boy who held it in his hand and threw it in the back seat. Meanwhile, of course, Clint Hill was rushing up to push Jackie back where she'd gone uh, out on the trunk after a big chunk of JFK's skull and brains, which she held in her hand all the way to Parkland. Clint Hill would lay across their bodies and peer into this massive fist-sized hole in the back of JFK's head. He was the first to see it up close and personal and give a turn to his colleagues and give them a thumbs down, meaning, of course, that... Uh, 
that Lancer, that was his Secret Service code name, was dead. Uh, this was all before the limousine would, would accelerate out of Dealey Plaza. And I now estimate that the limo stop had to take between 20 and 30 seconds. I can't find any way in which it could have taken less time than that, which once again reflects hundreds of frames were removed from the Zapruder film. We know because of research done by Douglas Horn, who was a senior analyst for military records for the Assassination Records Review Board, a five-person civilian panel that had been created by an act of Congress after the resurgence of interest in the case by the American public following uh, the release of Oliver Stone's film JFK, uh, where George H.W. Bush refused uh, to appoint the members. In fact, the bill had passed over his adamant opposition, which comes as no surprise if you realize that he was actually in Dealey Plaza supervising the hit team in the Dow Techs, from which three shots were fired with the only unsilenced weapon, Amanda Carcano, by an anti-Castro Cuban mm. by the name of Nestor Tony Escadro. Uh, Richard Hook has published a brilliant article about it entitled, Did George H.W. Bush Coordinate a JFK Hit Team? To which the answer appears to be a resounding yes, which is going to dumbfound many Americans because the, 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 this Bush family has done so much damage to the United States. Uh, but where, in addition, uh, we have discovered then that the limo stop was far more extensive. Indeed, fa believe, believe it or not, we had even discovered that that Lee Oswald was captured in a very famous photograph taken by James Ike Alchins, an AP photographer, where you can see the most fo famous photograph from the assassination. The presidential limousine is the foreground. Jack has already been hit in the throat. He's clutching his throat. You can see the hole in the windshield is a small white spiral nebula with a dark hole in the center where his left ear would be if his left ear were visible. The Secret Service are looking around like they have no idea what's going on. And in the background, you can see in the doorway, there's a figure peering out who uh, turns out to have the same height, the same weight, the same build, the same clothing as Lee Oswald when he was arrested. Unlike the fellow that the government claims was the man in the doorway whose name was Billy Lovelady, who insisted from the beginning that he thought it was odd he'd be confused with Lee because he was two to three inches shorter and 15 to 20 pounds heavier. Plus, he was wearing a short sleeve, vertically striped red and white shirt. He's actually standing between Lee and the doorway with his arms upraised to protect his face. This area has been subjected to extensive alteration. Uh, his face uh, that, that has been... Uh, that of Billy Lovelady has become a black hole. There's another face of a figure just below him that's been scratched out as a blatant example of alteration. Uh, there's a man behind uh, the doorman figure that turns out to be Lee Oswald, who look, appears to be both in front of him and behind him at the same time, so that the doorman is missing his left shoulder, which is an anatomical impossibility. Uh, and it dumbfounds me that there are members of the JFK research community whom I have regarded as intelligent, perceptive, and knowledgeable who deny the film has even been altered. That photograph has even been altered, notwithstanding the points I'm making here, which are very conspicuous. Mm. We've continued our research, and Larry Rivera uh, discovered photographs of both Billy Lovelady and of uh, Lee Oswald. And they had the right angle. Uh, when they were flipped as the angle of the face and the man in the doorway, and he created gifts. And when you look at the gifts and fill in the face, it matches Lee Oswald exactly. When you fill in the gifts with Billy Lovelady, there are all kinds of anomalies. It's clearly not the same person. 
so that this is a done deal, a real issue. You can find this brilliant work by Larry Revere online in the case of the uh, motorcycle escort officers. He's got uh, the, the JFK horsemen or JFK the four horsemen in part one and part two you can find on YouTube. And if you get to my, uh, to my uh, website with the real deal, uh, you can find where Larry, we present the gifts uh, of Larry, uh, because every Wednesday, the second hour of my show, I have a, the new JFK show, and we presented some of these absolutely sensational results. It's simply astounding to me how many in the JFK community attack us regularly again and again. I once remarked to Gordon Dopp when I was a journalist with Veterans Today, before he took me out for publishing about Jade Helm, which he did not want to happen. Mm. I said, Gordon, I think as much as 50% of the JFK community is working for the other side. And he said, no, Jim, 90, 90% working wow. the other side. Well, that's very interesting in itself. And it just shows the prevalence of shills when it comes to what would be considered by many as the alternative or the non-mainstream community. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I'm going to send you the link for the for the, the video shows so that you can make it available. So as time has gone on and with what seems to be like the, the, the increasing proliferation of false flag attacks and the sloppiness that goes with them, what do you think is going to happen in the future in that regard, Jim? Do you think it's the case that the public have been so dumbed down by the media or so maybe even desensitized to what's going on that the powers that shouldn't be don't even have to put on any kind of a good show with regard to their false flags, that the agenda just seems to be perpetuated no matter how flimsy the accepted mainstream story is. John, you're absolutely right. That's well illustrated by the San Bernardino event because we've even discovered the Craigslist advertisement for extras at San Bernardino where the report for the call uh, for extras saying it's going to be good pay, you're going to be transported, you're going to be fed, uh, there are going to be some speaking parts uh, to report on the first with the event going live on the second. Uh, the whole thing was completely shabby. Uh, we have the, the car, the vehicle that appears to be a police vehicle that was under remote control that was all shot up, except the chassis showed no bullet holes. They didn't even shoot out the tires, which would be standard procedure to keep uh, you know suspects from fleeing. Instead, all the bullet holes are in the windshield. Uh, the driver's side window is shot out. Uh, that gives the lie to the claim that they were engaged in a running gun battle with the police because you can't conduct a gun battle if the window of the vehicle is rolled up. They drag bodies or what purport to be bodies out of the vehicle that already had their hands handcuffed. Uh, they turn out to be uh, dummies. They have very sophisticated kind of dummies. We've exposed all of this. I have several shows on San Bernardino you can find on the Real Deal video for which I've just sent you the link. And it's just staggering, I mean, how blatant they can be about all this. They allowed the, the home, the residents of these people to be trashed by the media. Uh, which would be completely inconsistent that if this had been a real event, there would have been a forensic effort to maintain the integrity of the crime scene. It's very much like in Dallas, where the shooting took place on this Elm Street, but they didn't mark off Elm Street. Uh, they didn't tape it off. Instead, they allowed ordinary traffic to drive through to destroy any potential forensic clues that might have been left behind. So what, what's going on is they're getting more and more blatant about this. They really don't care. They've discovered the American people are so careless and uncritical in their thinking ability. 
they'll buy anything. If the government says it's true, they believe it's true. So they believe what they've been told about Sandy Hook. They believe what they've been told about the Boston bombing. They believe what they've been told about Charleston. They believe what they've been told about Umpqua College, another fake event. They believe what they've been told about San Bernardino. Even Charleston, by the way, is fraudulent. We have photographs of the uh, Dylan Roof with his jacket with no patches. The patches from apartheid states have been photoshopped in. We have video of him entering the church at 0800. Someone didn't understand a 24-hour clock, thought that meant 8 p.m. when it actually means 8 a.m. I mean, it goes on and on. The, shoe, the, the pews would have been so shot up, wood all over the place, uh, blood all over the place from his alleged reloading and reloading. It would have been a total mess, and yet they conducted a perfectly normal church service 48 hours later. Hillary Clinton just happened to be in town and sent her personal photographer over there to shoot photographs that undoubtedly will appear in campaign commercials during the coming year. Uh, we had an open casket for Clementa Pinckney, the celebrated minister of the church, but the body is not that of Clementa Pinckney. It's a much too dark in pigment. The neck is much too thick. It appears to be an individual of Haitian extraction, whereas Clementa Pinckney was an African-American. Uh, I mean, the, the blatancy with which they perpetrate these hoaxes is dumbfounding. Uh, we have reports now that Barack Obama is going to issue more executive orders to dramatically elevate the cost of ammunition, to restrict access to other forms of firearms. Uh, he's doing everything he can to subvert the American people, to defend themselves from all kinds of threats, foreign and domestic. He, he turns out to be the greatest traitor in the history of the United States. I believed in Barack Obama when he was originally a candidate. I sent him $100 five different times, and it wasn't the same $100. Uh, I believe that his background in the law at Harvard and teaching constitutional law at the University of Chicago made him the right person to place the country in a firm constitutional footing. He's proven to be precisely the opposite, that he was awarded a Nobel Peace Prize prematurely was an absurdity. He has sent military forces into 17 different nations in Africa alone. ISIS is a creation of the USA. It's a monster hoax. We have the Defense Intelligence Agency documents for its creation. We have photographs of, of, of ISIS members sporting U.S. Army tattoos. We have video that was hacked from John McCain's aide showing the filming of the fake beheading uh, videos on in sound stages in Tel Aviv or or, or, or or Hollywood. I mean, it's monstrous, the deceit and deception that's gone on here in the administration of Barack Obama. There are those who believe that we are, in fact, never going to have another election, that Barack Obama intends to remain dictator for life. And frankly, at this point in time, nothing would surprise me. Well, I must say nothing would surprise me at this point as well. And one of the least surprising things of all is the fact that the control system has managed to entirely obfuscate the truth time and time again and increasingly so as time goes on. I think people are so, broadly speaking, distracted from the real issues by the minutiae of everyday life. And I mean, that is a conversation, of course, for another day and we could wax lyrical about that for days on end. But to conclude then uh, what has been a most revealing discussion, I must say, Jim, it's been entirely illuminating for me personally. And as I said earlier, I think this conversation would be 
ideally kind of footnoted or supplemented by the reading material that you have put out there through your books. So have you any kind of last message for people who might be coming across this information for the first time and still remain slightly sceptical? What would you say to them in a nutshell to surmise? Well, there was legislation from the Smith-Mutt Act in 1948 that precluded the use of the techniques of propaganda and disinformation by the government that it had used abroad, which was nullified by the NDAA 2013. Uh, You can no longer believe anything that the American government promulgates. It's published in the New York Times, the Washington Post. uh, uh, NBC, ABC, CBS. I mean, it's a shame, but the American media has become complicit with the government as accessory after the fact in a whole host of atrocities, both at home and abroad. Uh, the American people hasn't even leveled with, uh, been told by the government that our own intelligence agencies determined in 2007 that Iran was not pursuing nuclear weapons, which they reaffirmed in 2011, that even the Mossad concluded that Iran was not pursuing nuclear weapons in 2000. 2012, just three weeks before Benjamin Netanyahu went to the United Nations and asserted precisely the opposite, that the sanctions on Iran are actually uh, forms of collective punishment that are violations of Article 33 of the Geneva Conventions of 1949. It's embarrassing, humiliating, uh, because the Article 33 clearly states that no individual may be punished for a crime he did not personally commit. Uh, these sanctions, a form of collective punishment, thereby qualify as war crimes. Americans are so bamboozled that they believe the American government is giving $150 billion to Iran as part of the deal when they're simply unfreezing money that belongs to Iran that was improperly frozen by these violations of the Geneva Conventions. Uh, the American government has disgraced itself again and again and again, not only in relation to Iran, not only in relation to actually creating ISIS to put more pressure on the Assad government and and, and now refusing to cooperate with Russia and taking uh, ISIS out, which I'm very glad to say Russia is doing quite systematically and quite thoroughly. Uh, thereby thwarting the master plan revealed to us by uh, Wesley Clark, uh, which he learned after he returned from serving as Supreme Commander Allied Forces Europe, to take out seven nations in the next, uh, seven governments in the next five years, beginning with Iraq and Libya, ending with Syria and Iran. It's not going to play out, but not for lack of trying. 9-11 was brought to us to get the United States embroiled in these wars to defeat the countries that had served as a counterbalance to Israel's domination of the Middle East and to pave the way to fulfill the Zionist dream of a greater Israel controlling the entire Middle East from the Tigris-Euphrates to the Nile. It's not playing out that way, thanks to Vladimir Putin. So, of course, as a consequence, Putin and Russia are being demonized by an American media that is a docile uh, instrument of, of disinformation for the American government. It's all shameful. The idea of banning guns when we need them most is going to create a chaos in the United States. I predict if Obama goes forward with his efforts to disarm the American people, we will have civil war in the United States. It's going to be very messy, very bloody. There are over 100 million armed Americans who aren't going to stand for it. When they undertook an effort to uh, abandon uh, uh, high-volume magazines in New York, 97% of the people would not comply with the recoverment. Uh, that's the kind of outcome you're going to have here if they try to take our guns. I've said many times on radio shows when, the time, when they come for our guns, the time has come to use them. 
we're we're on the verge of a bloody war. There's going to be a division in the military where half are going to side with the people. So you're going to have the military split and you're going to have 100 million Americans fighting a second American revolution. I hate to tell you that's what in the offing, but that's exactly how it looks to me. Well, a lot of people are going to be listening to that, Jim, and they're thinking, well, that could never happen. It could never happen in our lifetime. And that's something that has been repeated by people down throughout the ages and history tells its own tale. But it's interesting because there is no doubt that in the US there is currently a standing army on US soil in complete contravention or contradiction to what the founding fathers would have wished for and tried to make provision for. And the... The split between those who advocate gun control and those who advocate the Second Amendment as it currently exists is not to be underestimated. And many people outside of the US, I don't think they they realise necessarily how much of an issue that is, an issue that could potentially become a hot one, as you've just described. Well, John, we could never have defeated the British at Lexington and Concord if we had not been armed. I mean, the American tradition of citizen soldiers is embedded in our culture. It's part of how we want our freedom. And it's just tragic to think that we may have to fight a new American revolution to regain our freedom again. But I'm telling you, the corruption of the American government is at the lowest point in American history. It's a tragic, we're filled up this uh, mi- misleading, uh, duplicitous, corrupt politicians, many of whom put the interests of Israel ahead of those of the United States. It's tragic. Unfortunately, it's also true. And do you think there is any kind of message of positivity then? Have you any hope that things can reverse themselves and that things will be okay? The more Americans who learn the truth, the more Americans who become acquainted with the massive fraud of Sandy Hook, the more they'll appreciate that the government has no bounds, remember, instilling fear into a population in order to manipulate it, to promote a political agenda is the definition of terrorism. In this case, they feigned an act of violence to instill fear into the American people to make us more amenable to the promotion of the Obama political agenda. That means the American government has been performing acts of terrorism on the American people and doing it again and again and again until the American people understand what they're up against. They're going to be the docile victims of a manipulative and corrupt government. We must learn the truth. And the only silver lining I see here is that by banning the book, they did a tremendous benefit to getting the truth out because now instead of uh, selling 4,000 or 8,000 copies of the book, because I've released it for free, it's had millions of downloads and the word is getting out. And in my opinion, no better place to start that path of truth than with the book Nobody Died at Sandy Hook by James H. Fetzer. You can get it from jamesfetzer.blogspot.com or moonrockbooks.com. You'll find both addresses on the website. I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Jim, it's been absolutely fantastic speaking to you today. Hopefully we can do it again in the not-too-distant future. Thank you so much. That would be my great pleasure, John. And remember, Rents.com has the book too. Alchemy.
you've enjoyed this week's episode of Alchemy. Remember, we rely on donations to keep the show in its current free and ad-free format and are extremely grateful for any help you can offer. There's no fixed cost on donations and it all helps. So if you could spare even the price of the proverbial at this stage, cup of coffee, it would go a very long way towards keeping us afloat. So uh, much appreciated to everybody who has done so. Our donate button is on the website and thanks for all your recent help and support. We really couldn't do it without you. A reminder that we are the European media partner for Free Your Mind number four, a conference on consciousness, mind control and the occult, which is taking place in Philadelphia in the US on April the 15th to 17th 2016 more details on freeyourmindconference.com and we'll be chatting on alchemy to many of the free your mind guests over the coming weeks so lots to look forward to until the next time i have the power you have the power we have the power alchemy alchemy care will intelligence imagination are you tuned in? 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 Are you tuned in?